Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I'm lucky that that's been a constant throughout my entire life. I've always known that no matter what, especially in my career and my personal life, I just want to help people. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the vice president of cloud and security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. LinkedIn presents... to the Women in Tech podcast, where we are celebrating women in tech from around the world. Today, we have Nina Cloven from Houston, Texas. My name is Anika Aftab, and I'm based in Honolulu, Hawaii, and I've been passionate about the healthcare space my whole life. I'm incredibly excited to be interviewing women that are changing the healthcare landscape, one tech company at a time. All right, let's get started. So, Nina, can you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do currently? My name is Nina. I'm living in Houston, as she said. I'm living with my little puppy and my two best friends from college. And um, I'm Elation Health's manager of primary care advancement. I, too, have always been passionate about healthcare since as long as I can remember. My mom, is a gynecologic oncologist. Um, My grandfather was a pediatric cardiologist. My dad was a medic in the military. Um, My sister is a nurse. I have family members all over healthcare, usually the clinical side. Um, So I've always known exactly what I want to do. I attended Texas A&M University um, in college, and I got my Bachelor of Science in um, Public Health. And then I went straight to graduate school at Johns Hopkins University and got my master's of healthcare administration. And that's where I got introduced to Elation. I was actually Elation's first administrative resident. And so that's in the second year of graduate school, we do a built-in administrative residency. And typically those are hospitals or consulting groups. And Elation really stood out to me because it was the only health technology company and I went to grad school fully remote during COVID. And so that's really when health tech and telehealth really took off just so quickly. And so I thought it'd be great experience. And I never thought that I would love it as much as I do. So I'd always thought that I'd go into more of a hospital setting like my mom. 
but I've been with Elation for just over a year and a half now, and I'm just really loving it. We both work together at Elation. We've worked on a few projects together, and you're honestly so amazing. So I was really excited for this interview. Um, so it's amazing that you have so many family members that are coming from the healthcare space. You said more on the clinical side. Um, I'm sure you've either heard or seen a lot of the administrative burden that comes along with being in healthcare in general. Um, but I'm curious, and this is a mission of Elation is to change that, like the administrative, like take a, a, a look at administrative burden and create more efficient tools and uh, ability for providers. So what, what does Elation mean to you? Well, first of all, the people of Elation um, just means so much to me. I never thought that I'd be fortunate enough to love my job at this age. I feel like I'm so early in my career. I feel like that is super rare to have such a supportive workplace culture um, where I'm really inspired to tackle big issues and actually make a positive change right now. Um, Elation is dealing a lot with uh, administrative burden and technology is actually a leading cause, EHRs, um, of administrative burden itself. And so I think it's really cool that Elation is tackling that issue from the tech side. And that's by giving back, I think people at Elation call it pajama time to uh, physicians and primary care physicians. I know I've grown up seeing my mom on the couch doing her, I always called it homework, um, for hours and hours after she'd get back from work and she'd have to dictate and she'd just be on her laptop. Um, And that's just not what she calls the joy of medicine. Nobody goes to medical school so they can just be glued to their computer all day. So I really like that everything we do at Elation is so mission-driven to be able to allow physicians to practice medicine the way that they really wanted to in the first place. And so I always, um, in my role in primary care advancement, uh, it's just me and my boss, Dr. Sarah Pastor. We're a small team of two, a relatively new team. And um, part of the work we do internally is we inform healthcare strategy and leverage healthcare expertise and I really enjoy being able to come to engineers and people all over relation and say, you are helping people help people. And so we are also like responsible for patient care as well. And it's, it's interesting to think about because most people think about just the clinician to patient experience, but they're just so, especially in the United States, our healthcare system is so vast. There's so many different people all over the U.S. that make up patient care and healthcare in the U.S. And it's a really cool opportunity to be able to do it, especially on the tech side. Yeah. And I love that you highlight the, the holistic approach towards healthcare, right? Because it's not just physicians that are tackling the issue. It's not just people on like the administrative side of the staffers or, I mean, we're, we're external altogether. We're the third party trying to help liaise everything. Can you tell me, you said the primary care advancement space in elation at least has been a little bit more new on the newer side. What sparked it to start? Yeah, so my boss, Dr. Sarah Pastor, um, she is the only physician at Elation. And um, that's really important to bridge the gap between clinical, administrative, tech. It's really important to have people from all perspectives just to continue to provide input and collaborate because everybody has different uh, experiences, perspectives, and trainings in healthcare. And so I think she's been almost two years at Elation or maybe in early spring, it'll be almost two years. Um, and so she came on just as a team of one <laughs> to Elation. And I remember during my residency, 
I was really interested in what she's doing at Elation during actually onboarding. Um, I asked one of the people that were running the onboarding program, what are we doing to like increase the amount of primary care physicians and make their lives easier aside from the technology and products that we offer? Because there is an extreme shortage of primary care physicians and it's getting a lot worse. And so what are we doing on more of a national level to help these primary care physicians? And um, I think it was Sean and Fong um, told me to talk to Sarah Pastor. He was like, that's exactly what she's doing. And so she was kind enough to take me under her wing as well as Manisha uh, during my residency. And I really fell in love with the work that she's doing, leveraging healthcare to inform internal strategies, to also work externally on research and thought leadership and big projects to really kind of just improve the whole landscape in general for primary care physicians. And so at the end of my residency in April, uh, Sarah actually helped me create the position I'm in now that it was not a position um, to expand her team to a team of two. So I just, uh, no day is ever the same. We work on a lot of different cross-functional product projects and I like it. Sarah is so incredible too. It's, it probably is amazing to be working with her so closely. Um, and you, I know you mentioned back in your master's, Elation was the only health tech organization. Was this the first time you were exposed to health technology? Yeah, essentially. I had been exposed kind of secondhand with my mom, um, just kind of complaining about health technology my whole life. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I was ever truly exposed to health technology. Of course, um, some of our projects in graduate school dealt with remote patient monitoring devices and um, telehealth, but still most of our case studies were in terms of hospital point of view and perspective. And so whenever I interviewed with Khan and Fong, he was one, he actually was in my program. I think he graduated in 2004. And so that's why he decided to take on a resident. Um, I'll never forget in my interview with him, I talked about creativity in healthcare and how he asked me what I want to do in healthcare. Again, I'd always thought that it would be hospital operations or something like that. But I realized in graduate school, the more that I learned, the more I knew that I know nothing. <laughs> There's always going to be more to learn in healthcare. And so I just talked about how I just want to be creative in healthcare and just find solutions. Because if there was a, if there was a solution to the problems we're facing in healthcare, we would already be doing it. And he was like, that's exactly what we're doing at Elation. We're trying to be as create, creative in healthcare as possible. And he said, it seems taboo to say that, but that's really what our mission is. So something that, that was really interesting that you said was the main issue, like the inefficiencies come from the health tech space, right? Like from what you've seen, they, they've been like slow to really help our physicians. But however, it's also the solution to solving the problem is to make that solution faster and more efficient. So what can we do? Like, what can we do in the health tech space? I mean, I know this is a loaded question, so feel free not to, you, you don't have to delve too deep, but what, what, what are some ways that we can use the problem as a solution? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, I think, first of all, uh, EHRs in themselves are fascinating because it's both a 
clinical facing tool and also a patient facing tool, which is something that's so interesting to me because although at Elation, our customers are physicians, our ultimate stakeholders, I think, are the patients themselves. And so uh, that's just what's so interesting about health technology is that it can increase access to care. It can increase um, or it can lower costs. It can really improve quality of care for a lot of different people. And um, this is a topic that I actually wrote about in my grad school capstone assignment, because whenever I started working at Elation, I became just so fascinated by the relationship between innovative technology and healthcare and health equity, because it is, it is a double-edged sword. We think about telehealth and all of the different rapid, robust, innovative technologies that happened during COVID. And I really became interested in thinking about, okay, so this improves access to care, cost, quality, but does it improve all of those things for everyone? Um, does it improve access to care for those that actually need it the most? Um, and so I just really dove into that topic. I was lucky enough to get my article published in a two-part series in Kevin MD. And the answer is no, no technology can help everyone. But I think that something that's really important, at least from the patient side, is to keep in mind um, digital health equity um, before even launching any sort of new technology or innovation. We have to create strategies, approaches, initiatives with that in mind first, because those are the people that A, will reap the most benefits from those technologies and B, just need it the most in general, you know? Can you define digital health equity? Yeah. So I think of it as, so health equity, I'll never forget in, um, in undergrad in public health, I, uh, they explained this visual to describe the difference between equity and equality. And so picture three different people standing, looking at a baseball game. There, there's a fence, they're standing right in front. Um, and there's somebody that's really tall, there's somebody that's mid-height, and there's somebody that's really short, and they're all trying to see this baseball game. And equality would mean we give each of those people a wooden box to stand on. The tallest person didn't need the box at all. He could already see over the fence. The medium height person could just barely see over the fence with that box. And the shortest person uh, still couldn't see. But equity means giving the shortest person two boxes to stand on, giving the middle height person one box to stand on. And so they're all on an equal playing field of outcomes to be able to be in the same place to all watch the game. And so digital health equity combines the notion of health equity um, and the digital divide. So a lot of people, there is not an equality of access to digital technologies, um, which there's also Wi-Fi to think about or a cellular service. Um, a lot of people, a lot of families and homes don't have computers. And so when you think about digital health equity, that's also about the medium that you're using as well as outreach itself. Because um, <laughs> another thing that has to do with digital health equity is the digital determinants of health, which I had never heard of. Um, I'd always only ever heard of the social determinants of health which make up 80% of a person's health. Um, and the digital terms of the health are pretty much um, based on those. They're very similar. It's about attitudes, 
towards the digital environment, access to digital technologies, um, beliefs, cultural norms. And so digital health equity solutions and initiatives, really, you have to think about the communities, the cultures, what people have access to. And you have to get, again, get creative to be able to provide that equity of services what is being done? I mean, you and I both have done research in our own respective fields in healthcare. And the fact that this is the first time I'm hearing about this is surprising to me. Um, and I'm sure it's a newer, just a newer, I think primary care in general, that focus on primary care has been something that's been more so focused on re- in the more recent years, especially now we're in the COVID times where digital healthcare is becoming huge. Um, are there organizations that are focused on these goals? Are there think tanks? Are there um, schools in general that have these areas of study? Or are we still like just scratching the iceberg? Yeah, we are just merely scratching the iceberg or the surface of um, digital health equity. I Why I was so passionate about um, getting my article out there is because there is very minimal research on the digital terms of health. Not very many people had heard of it whatsoever. And I'm not really sure or familiar with how many other organizations there are dedicated to this specifically. But I think one thing that I wrote about in my article is that every single healthcare entity organization in any setting needs to have dedicated strategies and approaches to tackling this issue, especially as we continue further and further into more of a digital era. Um, I actually am currently um, getting my certificate in digital health innovation at Brown University because I'm just so fascinated by the technology and digital side of healthcare. And I think that's, um, it's perfect coupled with my previous experience in public health in general, and then healthcare administration and now digital health innovation. I've learned just so much about the process in developing digital health innovations um, and just all the different things. That's amazing. And did you say you're getting a digital health innovation certification at, what was the name of the university? Oh, Brown. Okay. That's what I thought. I just wanted to double check. That's amazing. First and foremost, Um, very, very cool. Uh, And I guess it's interesting, you know, how, it seems like in the last couple of years, you've kind of jumped into this tech space, like this digital healthcare space. Um, and I'm, I'm a person that believes in like people have multiple callings. I don't think that we just have that one track, one purpose. Some people do, you know, personally, I don't think I, I think I have like a multitude of areas um, that I want to excel in. Would you say that this is one of your callings or have you discovered your callings yet? I have. And I actually agree with you. I I call them passion projects. I have one overarching um, calling and purpose in life. And I'm lucky that that's that's been a constant throughout my entire life. I've always known that no matter what, especially in my career and my personal life, I just want to help people. Again, my family is deeply involved in healthcare. I, I always knew that that would be in healthcare. And so everything that I've done has been to kind of achieve that in my professional career as well. Um, I actually took a course in graduate school where we kind of figured out our life's mission and um, we were to pick an inanimate object um, and use it kind of as a symbol or a metaphor of our 
calling. And that it should be something that rings true both personally and professionally. And mine was, I'm an oven mitt. I feel things so that other people don't have to. And I think that's really important in healthcare, um, especially if you want to be an empathetic leader. You have to know that um, a lot of people that aren't working in healthcare on the patient side, um, people don't have great experiences for a variety of different reasons. Nobody wants to be in a hospital. Nobody wants to get terrible news about their health. And so making that as best an experience as possible for them, doing research, trying to continue to innovate, trying to make their inevitable experience with healthcare a little bit easier is definitely my calling in healthcare. And then from there, I have all sorts of little sub passion projects. Like you mentioned, a new one is digital health equity, which I'm really interested in. I think my original passion in healthcare because of my mom and how much she told me that she um, really all healthcare administrators are evil. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to make it better (laughs) from the inside out. Um, And so my original passion has always been um, clinical and administrative collaboration um, and just shared leadership and collaboration across all different scopes. And I think now I'm starting to think about it more as not just clinical and administrative, but everybody. It's just the healthcare system and players in healthcare is just so fascinating. So I'd be curious to see different ways and solutions for kind of connecting everybody together, because I firmly believe that everybody in healthcare wants to help people or the large majority, at least. And so how do we connect everybody um, to really work more efficiently to actually drive more positive health outcomes? And, and so I guess my next question to you is, you know, we're, we're both fairly young. We're in our tw- like early twenties, early career. Um, what advice would you have for like someone that is looking to bridge that gap or really understand what their, what their passion projects can be or their purpose ultimately can be? Yeah. Um, I am a firm believer that knowledge is power. I always am seeking to understand uh, more about myself and more about other people. And so I really do think that the more that you can learn about yourself and kind of even sit, and sometimes it's uncomfortable sitting and thinking about yourself and your true passions and desires. Um, So I think spending a lot of time just like going and experiencing, maybe even traveling, doing things outside of your comfort zone And I kept a journal uh, during graduate school and during my residency of things that I really enjoyed and my takeaways from that. Um, And I think also, aside from just seeking to understand yourself and just, I guess, being a little more aware while you're doing um, anything, it could be anything you can learn about yourself. But also, I think it's important to remember that Um, I think it's rare. People like you and I being so early in the career and being so passionate and driven and knowing exactly what you want. I think that that's super rare. And I think there's, you have to kind of enjoy the ride and love the process of figuring out what it is, because that's the most beautiful time in your life. You get to just see things and experience things that you never thought that you'd be able to. And so I guess for people that are a little bit younger in the early 20s, I think it's okay to not know exactly what you want to do um, and to honestly 
just enjoy the process of figuring that out because it is really beautiful. And I think looking back, you'll, that'll be some of the fondest memories of your life is figuring that out. Especially in college too. I think we both uh, did our undergrads and then decided to go do our masters. I, I think that, and it's funny, I, there, there has been a central theme in a lot of my interviews has been how academia and tech are actually not so different. We make it seem like they're two different spaces, but we really can bridge those gaps and we can learn just as much in both those spaces. It just looks a little different, right? Um, I think college is the time to like make those mistakes and like you do have a little bit of a safety net. You're allowed to like learn and grow and try again and try something different. Like, um, I don't know if you changed your major or anything, but I changed mine five times before I found out what I really want to do. And now I want to get my PhD in it. So like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you, um, it's, it's the time to do it. And that's kind of, that's, that's what I always say when it comes to like making those mistakes and really learning about yourself. And so I guess my next question for you is, did you have any mentors that helped guide you through to where you are today? Oh yeah. I've had, I've, I'm so fortunate that I've had just so, so many mentors that have just helped me kind of keep me on track and realize my purpose and just really empower me to do all the things that I have been doing and not wait until I have a certain amount of experience and just, just keep going now. Um, I think probably most notably is my boss and mentor, Dr. Sarah Pastor. She has been just my rock um, throughout uh, my entire administrative residency. And now she's my boss. Um, Working under such strong, empowering female mentorship at this stage of my career has been quintessential to my entire journey as an aspiring leader in healthcare. She does encourage me to take risks and to learn from different things that I'm doing. Um, she encourages me to take action on ideas that I have um, and take ownership of, I guess, different ideas and projects. And she just tells me to basically run with it. And so she encourages me to be in both independent and also always come to her for any time that I need her. Um, she's been such a great support throughout all of the different stages of my early career and residency and graduation. And she's just such an amazing woman to look up to. She's a mother. She's in the military. Um, she's a physician. She's an MHA. I just cannot say enough great things about her. And um, I would not be where I am today without her support. We were talking about these these like passion passions of ours, the purpose. And although it seems like when you talk about it, it seems so linear. Like when I tell people what I do, they're like, oh, wow, it seems like you got from point A to point B and then all the way to Z without any problems. I'm like, that's not how life works. And I'm curious, my next question for you is, you know, have you, have you ever been on like a path and you were you're like, oh, this is what I need to be doing or what I want to be doing. And then you pivot. Yeah. So I've always, surprisingly, since I, um, I think it was maybe freshman year of high school, I decided that healthcare administration was how I was going to be able to help as many people at a time as I could and leverage my strengths. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to get my MHA and I always knew that I wanted to get a um, my Bachelor of Science in Public Health to be able to get that perspective. Um, 
So although my path may seem linear, and I've always had um, this overarching kind of goal and drive, um, there have obviously been plenty of obstacles. Um, I think probably the the, mo- the biggest obstacle or challenge that I've had to overcome in that journey was um, imposter syndrome and ADHD. Um, actually, my whole life, I thought that I was naturally unintelligent, <laughs> which is, I just thought that, like, I don't know why I, th- I thought that I'm really passionate and determined and I want to do well, but I thought that, like, I just really was cursed with a very low IQ. I always wondered why um, my whole life, or I guess most of my academic career, I had to work so much harder than everybody else to achieve the same results. It was so frustrating to me. Um, And as it turns out, I just have ADHD. We know that women are far less diagnosed than men um, because it just looks a little bit different, you know? And um, also because... I am determined and I do care a lot, but I just thought it would take me a a week to study for something. It would take somebody a day to study for. And ever since I uh, met with my primary care physician and she got me the necessary treatment, my life has completely, completely changed. Um, And I finally felt like I was able to do the things that I was trying to do all along and to excel academically and reach these different milestones. Um, But still, for a while, I did struggle with the imposter syndrome of thinking that, you know, I'm just like have to work so much harder and that I'm just like not naturally intelligent, whatever that means, Um, which that is not true for anybody. There's no such thing as naturally unintelligent people. Everybody just has different strengths. And for some people in an academic setting, that's not how um, it just doesn't work with everybody's brains, you know. And so I think this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think that is one of the issues with just um, kind of our society and culture in America in general is just how limiting the academic um, culture and journey is for people now um, needing to go to college. I think just everybody has different journeys and I think um, it'd be super beneficial for more people to just kind of embrace, uh, like you said, the nonlinear nature that is people's lives and purposes and callings. Just for our listeners, if they're listening and they're like, I think I might have ADHD. Like what were some of your, if you don't mind sharing, like what were some of the experiences that you were having that made you ultimately think like, I need to tell my primary care doctor about this. Yeah. So um, I actually didn't know that I had ADHD. I just went to my, uh, so I have a really good relationship with my primary care physician. Um, She treats everybody in my family. We've known each other for so long. She knows about all of my different issues. She's been with me for just so long. And I think that's, this test is a testament to how important it is to have a good relationship with a primary care physician you could trust. Um, Because I would just, I just was speaking with her one day and I was like, I don't know why it takes me so long to study for things that it just really doesn't take other people um, as much time as me. And I was just like, it's so, it's just so frustrating. And she was like, you might have ADHD. And I was like, okay. And so she gave me um, the test and she was like, oh yeah, you certainly do. But I know for me, it was, it was just in my head, it's, I'm like really driven and motivated and I care a lot, but 
it's hard for me to slow down enough to do one thing, if that makes any sense, because my mind is everywhere at once. And so I, it was just so, it took so much energy to be able to sit down and just do one thing. I would always do better if I had multiple things going on at once. And so, but it looks different for everybody, of course. And I think that everybody should get um, a primary care physician and build a relationship and um, with their primary care physician, because they will be able to like help you be the healthiest you can be physically, mentally. Uh, it's just so important for everybody. I appreciate you sharing. I think that especially like in the mental health space and like the, in the, in these kind of spaces, especially with women, we don't talk about these things enough. Whereas like you kind of just like shut down and you're like, maybe there's something wrong with me. Whereas it's like, no, there isn't something wrong with you. If you had a, a like a knee pain, you're going to take Advil for it, right? Like that's just how it works. Um, and so I, I appreciate you sharing because like, hopefully, I mean, like just listening to you, I'm like, maybe there are some things I'm like, you know, I need to get checked out. Like I, I should probably um, take that like initiative. And, and I appreciate you being open about it because we need to do, we need to do more for ourselves because just like to show up for ourselves. And I love that. Um, yeah. And so I guess we can pivot a little bit. Um, so what has been, I mean, I know we're still early in our careers and like, we're still pursuing our dreams, quote unquote, what has been like one or a few lessons for you that you've learned about yourself while pursuing your dreams? I feel like I've I've learned so, so much about myself. One of them, one of the major lessons is um, just that I'm going to continue to learn forever. And it's not just in school. Some of the best lessons I've learned about myself are through other people, not in an academic setting. Um, so just listening and just, ex- just experiencing everything you can in the moment. It's, I know for me personally, Um, It's really hard for me to live in the moment because I'm always thinking ahead, um, which is not great. But I try to slow down um, as much as I can to just, I guess, just realize that we are living. And it's hard to it's hard whenever you're in school or you're in work and just to, to get stressed out super. Like I get stressed out really easily because I just care so much about what I'm doing. And it's really important. I love it. And. I've really spent a lot of time making sure that I don't let myself get carried away with like the day-to-day things that I'm doing and the importance of those and realize that I'm doing what I love right now. And I'm, I'm able to help people and what I'm doing is important, um, but not so important that it's going to derail my entire day and like lives are on the line. If I don't just finish this project. I think it's easy for people, especially women, especially women early in their careers to be super, super hard on themselves. And I know that I've been my biggest critic my entire life. Uh, But I think that it's really, really important to celebrate the milestones that you have had and realize that um, I actually saw a quote. I forget where it was. Um, Younger you would be so proud of where you are. Think about how far you've come to get where you are. It's just, it's so beautiful. The, the concept of your inner child being proud of you. It just, it makes me emotional every time. Um, so I think celebrating all of your successes, celebrating your failures, celebrating yourself and everybody around you. Life is too short to be hard on yourself with everything that you do, you know? So I guess, I guess, you know, what, what's next for you? You're, you're, 
You're doing so much. So I'm curious, like, what is, what are your goals? Do you have your five year goals, your 10 year, 15? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> again, I'd always thought that I wanted to be in a hospital setting. Um, I'm really excited to continue my work at Elation with everybody. I'm really excited to continue to grow and to learn more about the technology space and to be able to have more opportunities to network with people and meet other people and just like continue to work together to solve some of the issues in our healthcare system. I am actually super optimistic about the healthcare system. Maybe that's because I haven't been um, worn down enough yet (laughs) by the healthcare system, but um, there's definitely, definitely a lot of work that needs to be done, but I'm just really excited to continue to work with you and other people at Elation to do that important work um, and just continue to find innovative, creative solutions and just help as many people as possible. One of our last questions is, who is a woman in technology today that inspires you? I think there are so many. And that's what I love about this podcast is that it brings to light so many different women in tech all across the world. Um, person that's top of mind to me, not just because I'm talking to you right now, is definitely you. Because uh, I love when early careerists women um, just don't take no for an answer and don't succumb to the traditional societal norms of following a hierarchy or waiting around um, to do what you're passionate about. And I really, really have been so impressed by you and everything you've done at Elation. And you're just so good at um, podcasting and talking to people and just, uh, just the way that you interact with people and bring out the best in people and have people talk about different things. Um, it's just really inspiring to me. And I hope that one day I'll be able to be as articulate and graceful as you on a podcast. I very much appreciate you on that. And I mean, I look to you and I feel the same way, you know, I admire you so much. And I knew as soon as I was thinking of people to chat with, you were one of the first people I, before I even told Kino or Sarah, I was, I, t- I messaged you and I was like, Hey, I think I kind of want to interview you. <laughs> so, um, I just want you to know, that I, I reciprocate everything that you say, you said to me, but I appreciate it. <laughs> women raising women. That's what we need more of. I love it. Um, so I just have a few quick fire questions before we close out. Um, they're fun. Don't think too much about it. I'm just going to rapid fire. So what's your favorite book right now? Or what's your favorite book in general? Well, I'm big into poetry. <laughs> I, I love poetry and I can't pick a favorite book in general, but right now, um, I've been really into Atticus and one of his books is Dark Between Stars and it's beautiful and it has a, a lot of photography as well. What is your favorite podcast or video series right now? Um, I'm really fascinated and intrigued by um, psychology. And so I like to learn about brains and how we work and all of that. And there's this podcast called uh, Stuff You Should Know. And so I love to listen to all of their different um, psychology and science ones, uh, just because knowledge is power. I love to learn. What would you say are the best resources for someone looking to learn more about health technology? Yeah. So I would say that there's actually a lot of thought leadership, um, and reading materials available. I know that, uh, Sarah and I both write blogs, um, on the Elation website, um, just about different interesting healthcare topics, educational, Um, But I think overall, the best resource is just each other. There's so much to learn from each other. 
And that's one of the things I love about this podcast is just learning from other women and just hearing other people's perspectives and just, uh, we're never done learning. Learning is a lifelong process. And I think, um, just see your friends and mentors and other people in the industry as, uh, really great resources. And then I'm a big foodie. So I have to ask, what's your favorite food? My favorite food without a doubt is pasta. I love it so much. I make it probably four times a week. Um, I, I, that's one thing I can never get sick of. What's one thing that listeners can do to support you? I think the thing that listeners can do to support me the most would be to either donate to funds that support um, abortion access, people in the United States. That is one of the biggest healthcare crises crises in our nation, um, in my opinion, especially living in Texas and all the other states that um, really don't have reproductive justice at all for women in the United States. Um, Also using your voice. Our voices are so, so powerful. Speak out against um, anything that really restricts access um, for abortion or any other reproductive health care for women. Uh, That's something that's really important to me. And um, I think that's one of, again, the, the greatest issues that we're facing right now. I love it. And viewers can't see this, but your shirt does say abortion is healthcare. And I love it. I want to, you got to send me the link to it because I want one. <laughs> um, hopefully they have t-shirts because it's a little too hot here in Hawaii. <laughs> um, and then the last question is how can people connect with you? You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nina Cloven, just my first and last name, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn and just feel free to shoot me a message. I'm happy to talk um, with anybody about your different experiences, answer any questions at all. So yeah, feel free to reach me on either of those two platforms. All right. So well, thank you all so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. You can say hello to us uh, on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.